Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR, America's Card Room, where right now we have a brand new tournament schedule that I think you guys are going to love. One of the things that I really like that they're doing now is some of the tournaments are paying the final table only. And I love this. This is absolutely my kind of development in the poker world. I think all tournaments should be winner take all. (laughs) I know most of you think that I'm absolutely insane for that, but that's how I feel. So we're getting one step closer to that on ACR, where in select tournaments with buy-ins ranging from $3 all the way up to $109, certain tournaments are now paying the final table only. So... Uh, That can be fun. You probably won't cash, but if you do, you'll get a nice payday. So check that out along with all the other things we have going on on ACR right now, including the next Moneymaker, which features an amazing array of prizes, including a buy-in into the main event at the World Series of Poker. Speaking of which, I cannot wait for the summer. As soon as that schedule comes out, I start looking at it obsessively roughly every single day and i'm very excited for all of the tournaments that we're going to be playing this summer of course equally excited to be opening for the great jim jeffries the very first weekend of the world series of poker june 2nd and 3rd at the mirage which is now owned by the seminoles that's right the same ones from the hard rock in florida tampa and everywhere else they have now purchased a strip property formerly the MGM Mirage, soon to be renamed the Hard Rock. But for now, it's still the Mirage. And Jim Jeffries and I will be performing there on June 2nd and 3rd at 10 p.m. You can get tickets now at jimjeffries.com. So today we're going to talk a little bit about some hands that you guys have posted in the Discord. By the way, if you haven't joined yet, just click the link in the description of this podcast and you can be a part of the ACR Discord. It's absolutely free to join and you can engage in conversation with uh, Derek, T- Killing Bird Tenbush, and myself, among others, as far as uh, areas like what's going on at ACR, what's happening with the free roll, which, by the way, we're doing again this Sunday, March 12th at 5 p.m. That's right, the ACR Tournament Poker Edge free roll this Sunday, March 12th. If you want information about that, you have to join us on the Discord by clicking the link in the description to this podcast. Um, Before we get into hands from the Discord and from some of our esteemed Discord members, I want to talk about a tweet that Daniel Negreanu put out this week. Now look, guys, before I get into this, Daniel is a friend of mine. Um, We've worked together on a number of different projects uh, he's been a guest on this exact podcast, so I, I'm, I'm not against Daniel, but I want to share something that he tweeted this week about Ali Imsirovich. I don't know if I've ever said his name correctly, but I do my best. Here's a quote from Daniel on March 8th. Before knowing about Ali Imsirovich's transgressions, I thought he was a lifer who loved the game and would be a tournament fixture for a long time. I'm hearing that he is continuing his antics and is likely irredeemable at this point 
All operators, both online and live, should proactively ban him indefinitely. He is the opposite of remorseful and is actual boastful bragging about robbing former friends. End quote. Okay, so let's talk about this tweet, what Daniel is doing here, what he's saying, and what what might or might not end up being the outcome of this. Look, I hate cheaters as much as the next guy, but I also hate when anybody's tweet starts with, I'm hearing. Uh, it kind of reminds me of former President Donald Trump, who anytime he wanted to start a rumor about someone, he would say, I'm hearing that Sleepy Joe is doing this, or I'm hearing that Crooked Hillary did that. Uh, look, I, I believe that Daniel heard something, of course. I'm not saying that he just pulled this out of thin air, but without real concrete evidence, it's very hard to prove cheating in poker. Some would say that even with concrete real evidence, it's hard to prove cheating in poker. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to previous episodes concerning Mike Possle, Robbie Jade, and even this Ali Imsirovich. Uh, we don't actually have a smoking gun. It is rumored that he's been bragging to his friends about cheating people on poker sites where he's not yet banned. Um, certainly if he's doing that, it's a, it's a bad look for him. Uh, but that even that doesn't prove that he's guilty. So without having a smoking gun, I think it would be very hard, particularly for live operators such as the WSOP to say this person is not welcome here. Because again, what is the evidence? Uh, look, last time I checked, this is America. And one of the rules here is you have to be proven guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt and I'm not sure that that's happened in the case of Ali Imsirovich. Now, if I had to bet whether or not I think he's a cheat, yes, I'm I'm pretty sure that he is. Like, where there's smoke, there's fire. But that is not the standard as far as penalizing someone or taking him off of a website. Now, if Daniel would have presented evidence, um, a screenshot, like something that could prove that this cheating is, in fact, happening still, then I think that this tweet might be more effective. But the way it reads to me, I'm hearing that he is continuing his antics and is likely irredeemable. I mean, that's that's strange to, to think that you would hear that someone is irredeemable. I don't know. That seems like a very forward-looking statement. You know, um, say what you want about Ali. He's 28 years old. And I think that most of us in our 20s make some kind of mistakes. I don't know that... That means we can excuse it. I'm certainly not saying that we should excuse any actual cheating that took place. And if he was banned from GG Poker, which most people believe he was, although even that is kind of hard to prove. After all, what actually happened a while back was that GG announced publicly that several players had been caught cheating on their site and that those players were banned. And subsequent to that, no one has seen Ali on GG Poker, which led many to believe, understandably and justifiably, that he was among those who were banned. Although GG Poker has never actually stated, yes, we banned this known cheater and that known cheater, and here's the evidence that we have, and these are the reasons why these people aren't allowed on our site anymore. They haven't done that, and you can't really expect them to do that. I mean, I think that that would be a bridge too far for GG or any online poker operator. So what has happened is a lot of speculation based on the facts that are currently in evidence. But 
we don't really have a smoking gun, so it's hard for me to say, yeah, everyone should just across the board ban this player that we don't really have evidence of cheating beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, obviously, Daniel Dineggs has access to conversations and information that I don't. So perhaps he's trying to tell us without telling us for whatever reason. But the way this is right now, it feels like we're trying to stir the pot in advance of the World Series of Poker, which is exactly what happened last year. I mean, these guys, Jake Schindler, who eventually won a bracelet to the delight of almost no one, and Ali were both under fire for all of this alleged cheating. Now, what they are said to have been doing is colluding in high-stakes events, live events, which, again, we don't really have proof of that. There is suspicion of that, and a lot of the high-stakes players swear that it is the case. But, you know, as far as, you know, if if I were a uh, a jury of Ali's peers, I would say that's all well and good, but where is the proof? And also... Uh, apparently using RTA and other kind of supercomputer real-time assistance, GTO bots while you're playing online poker, which, I mean, let's be honest, guys, how can you ever know that that is not happening while you're playing online? I feel like it is part of the price of doing business. If you are a winning online player, there's a chance that you have won some of your money against players who were not playing fair. Now, I know that on ACR, we have measures in place. They have security measures in place. They can sort of tell if players are going really far outside of what they would normally do in situations. There there are systems in place to catch cheaters. There are definitely things I can tell you almost every time I play on ACR, something comes up where they try to test to make sure that I'm an actual human it might be one of those captcha things like which pictures have a, a crosswalk in them or a fire truck. And if I don't click it, it locks me out because the the robots apparently can't solve a captcha that requires a human brain or something. So, yeah, I mean, the sites do what they can within reason to try to prevent this sort of thing. But the idea that no one's going to be looking at a pre-flop chart, for example, while he's playing online poker, even though that's always against the rules Uh, it's just kind of naive, right? There are certain things that I can do uh, in my living room that I wouldn't be able to do in a casino. Another example is, you know, do you really think that you're never up against more than one opponent, right? Uh, Do you really believe that no one's ever like on the phone with his friend, like, hey, I'm at the final table of this million dollar tournament. You're better at poker than I am. Can you walk me through what I should do in this case? Obviously, that's against the terms and conditions, but there's only so much a, a, an online poker site can do to prevent this sort of thing. And they're never going to eradicate it completely, in my opinion. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about really going above and beyond questionable measures and into full-on cheating. Using real-time assistance while you're playing poker is obviously a bridge too far. That's against the rules. And if it were proven that Ali had done so, then I would understand wanting to ban him from live poker, from online poker, maybe not even letting him in the United States of America, (laughs) right? Because cheaters are the scum of the earth. But where I get uncomfortable is the part where Daniel just says, I'm hearing that this is continuing. I guess for me, I'm not exactly comfortable 
And I would feel better about this if we did, in fact, have a smoking gun. Now, in Daniel's case, he's got a lot of pull in the poker community, right? I mean, he's one of the the most recognizable, famous players in the game. He is on the competition committee at the World Series of Poker, which means he literally helps to write the rules of the games. So, uh, obviously, when Daniel talks, people listen, and we shall see what, if anything, comes of this tweet and or series of tweets to follow. Perhaps Daniel is setting us up where he's about to lay out the case for banning Ali Imsirovich across the board. But at this point, I don't really see the smoking gun. And so I'm wondering what, if anything, is coming next. All right, well, enough about that. We are still waiting for the uh, full schedule from the Venetian and the win. I'm waiting with bated breath to start looking at the preliminary schedule that I've already made for myself to play this summer at the World Series of Poker and see what, if anything, on uh, those two properties schedules might want to take me outside of the horseshoe and into a different strip property for poker tournament action. I'm assuming there will be a mystery bounty or two at the win. And so obviously you will find me there playing in those events. I'm absolutely obsessed with mystery bounties. And by the way, in a minute, we're going to get to a hand from a live mystery bounty tournament that one of our Discord members played in. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I'm also waiting to see what the Venetian does. I know that they did announce that they're doing the uh, MSPT main event there again this summer, and a few other highlights were released. Maybe the Venetian trying to take a page out of Jack Effel's book and give us just a little hint about what the schedule is going to be. But you know, kind of know your role, Venetian. You're not you're not the World Series. People around the world are not looking to see what you're going to do this summer. I mean, the bracelet events are and probably always will be king of the hill. All right, guys, let's get into some strategy. Um, Before we do, just want to remind you, if you are not yet a member of America's Card Room, if you don't have a screen name, if you've never signed up for an account, you want to click the link in the description of this podcast where it says join ACR. And if you use the promo code TPE, guys, you get a 100% first time deposit bonus up to $2,000, again, by just using the promo code TPE. All right, so I'm looking at the strategy section here in the Discord. So if you join the TPE Discord, we have different sections. We've got the rules section where you can learn about what you are and are not allowed to do in the uh, TPE Discord. Spoiler alert, you're not allowed to ask for crypto in exchange for ACR funds. There's one. <laughs> we also have sweats where if someone's running deep, we want to keep track of how that, that person's doing. We've got the off topic, which is everything else. We've got a podcast section, an ACR section, and a free roll chat section. And that's the section where you're going to find instructions on how to join the $1,000 TPE free roll on America's card room this Sunday, March 12th. So this one comes from the strategy section, a member named Picking Up Chips. I like that name, Picking Up Chips, wants to know. He's playing an $11 buy-in PKO with a 10K guaranteed on America's Card Room. He writes, 
Sometimes I can read a situation and make a great play, and sometimes I don't know what to do. Hey, picking up chips, you and me both, buddy. I mean, that's that's how I feel. Sometimes it's really clear what I should do, and sometimes it's guessing. But remember, guys, poker is a gambling game and a game of incomplete information. You want to take the information that you have available to you, as complete or incomplete as that may be, and make an informed decision that is based on a certain strategy that you have chosen to employ in the tournament that you've chosen to play. Now, if it's a super turbo, that strategy might be really different. If it's a much larger buy-in where you expect the players to be following GTO principles more, then your strategy may change based on that as well. But that's part of what we do is before we even start playing, we have kind of a, a framework for what the strategy should be. Here we go. I've got 56 big blinds effective. So picking up chip, chips is doing quite well in this tournament. Uh, I open in third position. He's got the ace queen of diamonds. So ace queen suited in third position at an eight handed table. I get two flats behind. So the first of them is on his immediate left. And then the next one is actually on the button. And then the big blind, three bets pretty big. So the big blind, by the way, in this hand starts with 130 big blinds. So he is one of the chip leaders at the table and he makes it 13 and a half big blinds. Now we had originally opened to 2.2 big blinds, got two callers, then the small blind folded and then the big blind squeezes to 13 and a half big blinds. Now remember, we start with only 56 big blinds. So this is a, a pretty substantial raise and it would be a very significant chunk of the stack were, were we to decide to flat call and try to see a flop. So let's look at it. I've only got four hands on BB, so no real reads. What would you do here with the Ace of Diamonds, Queen of Diamonds? No information on the opponents. So, yeah, I mean, I think as Killingbird said in the uh, strategy section of the Discord, without any other info, this is a gross spot. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, Derek. This is a, a gross spot. Um, my first instinct is that uh, there's nothing wrong with just shoving. You know, how bad could it be to get 56 big blinds all in with uh, ace queen of diamonds, which is easily a top 15 hand, right? But that, of course, is not to say that this is the best play, just that shoving can't be very bad. Of course, sometimes you'll run into ace king or pocket aces. Those are really the only two hands that we fear, though, right? I mean, even if we're up against kings, we're not doing that badly with the ace queen suited one live over card, you know, flush potential, stuff like that. And we don't want to get 56 big blinds all in as a 70-30 underdog, but that's kind of a worst case scenario. Like what should the big blinds range be for three bet squeezing after a raise and two callers in position? Well, it's, it's hard to say what his range is, but if we just want to go to GTO, uh, he should have some bluffs, right? Anytime you're doing something for value, like he wants to be able to make this play with pocket aces, pocket kings, the big hands that we fear most, ace king, right? He wants to be able to make this play with those hands. Well, in order to really be able to do that from a theoretical basis, he also needs to make this play sometimes with 
other hands that we would not describe as premium. So for that reason, Ace Queen of Diamonds is probably doing fine against an overall balanced range from a big blind who is playing GTO. So in that case, that's why I say it's fine to get the whole stack just all in here. Go ahead and push, and sometimes you will run into it. Other times, he should have pocket jacks, pocket tens maybe. I don't know if pocket nines would do a big squeeze like this, but possibly. And maybe some bluffs like an ace three suited, ace five suited. We've talked many times about how powerful those kind of hands are. Of course, we have an ace ourselves making some of those hands uh, you know, that much less likely, but still you can't rule it out. It's only one blocker. So yeah, you will sometimes be up against an ace five suited or similar. And if he's perfectly balanced, then we should actually be indifferent to shoving or folding or whatever. I don't really like calling. I don't want to put another 11 point something big blinds in and then have to figure out what to do with 25% or so of my stack already in the middle. That's kind of gross. That's what really makes it a gross spot. Also, we have the players to our left to worry about. Maybe if we flat, one of them shoves and then the other guy shoves and we end up having to get all in anyway with ace-queen. But now instead of just a likely one opponent at the most, we might end up with two or even three opponents, which is pretty gross. Not that ace-queen suited doesn't play okay multi-way, but obviously if you have your druthers, you'd rather just get in heads up versus whatever this guy chose to put into his squeezing range. Without reads on this opponent, we might just want to look at the field as a whole, like what kind of strategy do players in the typical $11 buy-in, $10,000 guaranteed PKO on ACR play? I mean, I've played in this type of tournament before, and I find that it is helpful to look at the country of origin of my opponents. Now, I, if I only have four hands on a player, as Hero says, that is the case in this in this instance, I might just want to look, you know, if this guy's from the Russian Federation or the Ukraine or anywhere else in Eastern Europe, then I really like shoving. Uh, if he is from the United States or Brazil or some of the other countries where they don't really get into these big pre-flop raising wars as much as we would have, say, 10 years ago, then I think that maybe folding is, is the way to go. Um, so without knowing what country this player is from and with only having four hands on him, I'm going to say I know that shoving is fine. I'm pretty sure that it should be plus EV in the long run. So that's what I would do. I would just go all in. I was very surprised to read what some of the uh, comments are in the uh, Discord, in the strategy section. Uh, some people say, uh, check your ego and fold. That was a comment, which that one, to be honest, confused me a little bit, guys. I'm not really sure what ego has to do with anything here. I mean, all we've done is open to 2.2 big blinds. I mean, I don't know where, where the ego gets involved, but I guess maybe if you just feel like you have to fight back against a bully, that, that could be an ego situation. But, you know, Hero doesn't describe this hand in terms of a bully or feeling like we're getting into some kind of battle for dominance. He actually says, I have no reads because I only have four hands on this opponent. So to me, then the real question becomes, is it okay to get 
56 big blinds is it profitable rather to get 56 big blinds all in before the flop with ace queen of diamonds and i think that generally speaking if you can get heads up by doing so which we most likely will here uh then yes it's okay to do that but maybe barely so another consideration is uh your opponent is more likely to call you a little bit lighter uh given that he has us covered by a lot and this is a PKO. Now, it seems like it's pretty early in the PKO. Probably everybody just has the minimum starting bounty. But yeah, I mean, I know that a lot of us, myself included, we play pretty aggressively in these types of tournaments because number one, you want to build a big stack so that you can be more likely to collect a lot of bounties along the way. And that's where half the prize pool is, of course, is in those bounties that we're trying to collect. And also just the actual dollar value of getting into a coin flip. So if he has a hand like pocket tens, pocket jacks, uh, yeah, he wants to flip a coin with us here, especially with the dead money in the middle and the fact that he can have an actual cash prize if he manages to bust us. So all that to say your shove is more likely than it would be in a typical tournament to be called. So beware of that. But yeah, you know what? I'm in it to win it. We're going to gamble. If we happen to win this pot one way or the other. Also, by the way, if we are dominated by pocket kings or ace king, we can still get lucky, catch a bunch of diamonds, hit a queen to win. You know, there are ways that we can win. Again, it's not that I'm trying to get all in bad. I guess for me, ace queen suited is a little too much hand to let go. Let me know what you guys think. Get on the Discord, man. That's where we like to really get into these hands and talk about stuff. Join the Discord, clicking the link in the description of this podcast. If you're still against Discord for any reason, you can always find me on Twitter, at Clayton Comic. My DMs are open, but I do prefer you guys do, you know, just regular tweets so that we can all read what each other has to say and so that things aren't just privately placed into my inbox where I sometimes don't see them for weeks at a time. But yeah, you can tweet me at Clayton Comic and let me know what you think about the podcast, about this hand, about my haircut, anything you want to talk about. All right, let's do one more. As promised, this is going to be from a live mystery bounty tournament in a real casino and a casino that I have visited in my home state of Maryland. So this is a $250 mystery bounty tournament at Maryland Live. And the way they do it there is that the bounties are $25 for everyone up until you reach the final three tables. And then they start doing the envelope thing and all that. This is a reader called Flying High 76. I got to start off with his excellent intro. Dear Clayton Comic, I love the TPE podcast. Thank you so much, Flying High 76. Discovered it about a year back and look forward to every episode plus catching up on the old ones. I particularly like hearing you talk through hands in the strategy segment. Have what I think is a pretty interesting spot. All right, so here we are in this mystery bounty, a $250 buy-in at Maryland Live Casino. We're in level seven. The blinds are 400, 800 with an 800 big blind ante, and the registration period has closed. You start with 20K starting chips, and Flying High 76 has run that all the way up to... 70k so he is doing great at this point i feel we have a tight aggressive image he have already collected two 25 bounties along the way however 
The villain in this hand is new to the table, only sat down a few orbits ago. Okay, so that's important. Like you might be aware of your table image, but what difference does that make if the new player doesn't have any experience with that image, right? It doesn't matter if he hasn't actually seen me play tight. He might not think that I'm tight, even if I've been tight all day long. So that's pretty important. We're short one player, so my table is currently seven-handed, and the cutoff, this is the player who just joined a few orbits ago, min raises to 1,600 off an effective stack of 26K. All right, so right away, let's look at that. There's 2,000 in the middle, and this guy has 26,000, so that means his M is 13, or if you prefer, he's got about... 32 big blinds on the button i look down at king of spades five of spades okay so let me stop reading now guys now if you saw the cutoff open uh and he just sat down at your table maybe like 20 30 minutes ago he's got an m of 13 and he opens from the cutoff for the minimum and you had the king five of spades how would you play it um, many of you are probably thinking, well, this is a pretty easy fold, and I don't blame you. I think that I would usually fold this hand, especially without really having much of a read on my opponent's playing style. I mean, certainly if he had more chips, I could put this hand into my three betting range, but you don't want to do that when your opponent only has you know 30-ish big blinds because if we three bet, say, so he made it two big blinds, say we make it six big blinds, and then the player puts all 30 in. Well, at that point, there's going to be about 10 big blinds in the pot. And now he puts in 30. And it only costs me another 24. And this is what I call a pretty ugly pot odds situation with the suited king five. I mean, king five suited is not a hopeless hand, but it's certainly not good enough to get all in for a third of our stack. And why do we want to do that just to try to collect a $25 bounty? I don't know. So I really don't want to three bet. I really don't want to call. I think against this opponent's stack size, the best play is to fold the king five suited and wait for a different opportunity to tangle. However, flying high 76 decided to, and I'm quoting here, make the call. I don't know if you should ever talk about king five suited as a hand that makes the call. <laughs> I mean, I usually think of making the call when somebody's all in and I have a really close decision whether or not I should call or fold an all-in. I think in this spot, it's a pretty easy lay down. I don't really need to play king five suited versus a cutoff open when he only has an M of 13. Uh, well, he does go on to say, and I'm quoting again, a bit lighter than I usually call with, but I'm in position and I have an M of 35. So playing fairly deep. Okay, so, you know, respectfully, flying high 76, I think that this is some flawed thinking here. You're not really playing fairly deep unless your opponents are also deep, right? In this case, this guy's got like 30 bigs. That's not very deep. And we've got a very speculative hand. Yes, we will be in position. And yes, we block some of his value range with our, you know, king or whatever. But I just don't think we have enough hand to really continue versus a player that's in this type of stack zone. So who cares what my M is when his is only about 12 or 13, right? So uh, I, that's why I think this is a fold. And very important, guys, when you're thinking about how deep you are, it really matters what the effective stack size is, 
right? Not just your stack, but what about the stacks of the opponents in the hand or the potential opponents waiting to act on your left? That's what you should be looking at, not just how many chips do I have? All right, so anyway, he does call and uh, so do the blinds. So now we're going to have to see a flop four ways with the king five of spades. Uh, the flop is a brilliant one. It comes ace, five, five, rainbow, no spades, and the blinds check. And now the villain leads into three opponents uh, into the 6,400 pot. Uh, the villain bets 2,000, so less than one-third pot. And the hero decides to call, quoting here, thinking I've got to be way ahead at this point. I don't want to chase the villain out of the pot. Okay, I think this is a big mistake. I mean, uh, look, there are so many scare cards that can come later. There are so many opponents in this hand. Generally speaking, I think that most players, especially at the lower buy-ins, are a little bit too obsessed with slow playing. Get those chips in the middle when you still can. Like if you raise here, you've got a chance of getting all in with this guy when he's got a hand like ace-king, ace-queen, and just doesn't want to fold yet. So in other words, if he bets 2,000, now he's only got 24,000 left in his stack anyway. If you just raise it now, make it like 8,000 right now, that's really going to be threatening his stack. It's a third of his chips. If he's got an ace, he's probably not trying to fold it to you, a player who's not really supposed to have a five ever <laughs> when you flat call. After he opened off of 32 big blinds, you're not really supposed to have many fives in your range at all. So if he's thinking that way, he's going to love his ace-king, ace-queen, whatever he's got, and think that you could be bluffing or maybe you're raising with a worse ace. I find in these types of tournaments, especially live turbo, one-day small stakes mystery bounty tournaments, you are not going to see too many players with a stack like this one folding a strong ace just because you raise. And remember, you already told us you think he doesn't have a read on you at all because he's only been here for a short time. So I don't like the slow play here. I think if I would have played this pot, I would have raised right here on the flop. And we're hoping that maybe somebody behind us will also have a five. That would be great if one of the blinds has the last five because we certainly have him out kicked. So uh, yeah, I want to allow him to keep betting. That's a, a good mentality to have when you're in a heads up situation where you feel like your opponent is very much polarized between having a great hand and having nothing at all. I just don't think that will often be the case in a, a situation like this one. This player's stack is getting towards the danger zone. I don't expect him to keep betting when he has three opponents unless he's got a hand that he's pretty willing to go with most of the time. Anyway, so we just call and then the blinds do fold, leaving us heads up versus villain. And the turn comes the eight of diamonds. So our board is now ace, five, five, eight. And I'm assuming there are two diamonds, but it doesn't much matter to hero who has the king five suited for three of a kind. And this time the villain checks and our correspondent says, quote, confirming I'm likely in the lead. And so I make a sizable bet of 8K into the 10.4K pot. Okay, so I guess we're targeting an ace here. And I think we should be. So a bit to my surprise, he goes on to say, he makes the call. Okay, so why are you so surprised that he made the call? Again, I would probably put this gentleman 
on an ace. And when he's making a call of 8,000 into 10.4, when he only starts the whole hand with under 26, I think that it should be a strong ace, queen, ace, king, that is actually just trying to control the sides of the pot to the best of his ability, but he really can't fold to the likes of you. So I should I wouldn't be surprised. I think that he's got something like ace king, ace queen. So I would actually be delighted that he's calling because it kind of confirms the read, right? Calling that big of a bet on the turn. A villain should have ace king, ace queen a lot. And he's just praying that you don't have a five, which you do. And now the river comes the nine of hearts. So the final board is ace, five, five, eight, nine. And no flush got there. Villain checks. And he's only got about half the pot left. I see no reason not to put it in at this point. Let's just stick it in and hope that he calls with exactly what we think he has. Ace, king, ace, queen, whatever the case may be. I didn't really want to play this pot in the first place. We got super lucky on the flop. And if somehow this guy can beat king five here, you know what? I was just destined to lose a third of my chips. <laughs> but maybe that's because it's not my day after all and is in no way indicative of my overall karma. <laughs> right? Sometimes we think that things are much bigger than they really are. It's just poker, guys. Thinking his most likely holding was that strong ace that would be hard for him to fold. I shove all in. I like this play. In retrospect, I'm not sure there's enough of his range that I'm beating that he will call with that this bet is profitable. Okay, so about that last sentence there, flying high 76, I think if you weren't sure that he would be able to call you on the river, then you shouldn't have bet the turn. Right, If you think that he will view a hand like ace-king, ace-queen as a two streets of value hand, then don't try to get him all in. I disagree with you, but if that's your logic, then don't try to get him all in. Just try to control the pot. It's much easier for him to call a bet on the river with an ace that wouldn't call three bets than it would be for him on the turn. So it's better to check the turn and then try to get your value just on the river. Uh, I, I disagree with you, though. I think if he's got ace-king, ace-queen, or even ace-jack, he's got too much of his stack in there already to fold now. He's just going to have to check and call and see the bad news. Uh, actually, what happened in the hand, we're going to get to the results now. Uh, it says villain insta-calls and flips over pocket nines for a river boat. So this is a thinly veiled bad beat story, but I still think certain things that came up in the hand are worth looking at. Uh, number one... I think passively calling with a suited king on the button is probably not the best play pre-flop and then worrying about whether you're beat or not when you flop so well <laughs> with that suited king five is also uh, not worth a whole lot. I mean, if you're asking me, should I not have bet the river? I mean, that's a silly question. We have three of a kind. We think our opponent almost certainly has a strong ace that won't be able to fold. Of course, we bet this river. Anyway, I want to thank you for sharing the hand with us on the Discord. And again, guys, join that Discord by clicking the link in the description of this podcast. I'm hoping to get Derek Killingbird Tenbush to come on at some point and look at the summer with us and possibly even talk about doing a TPE meetup at some point in Vegas. Is that something you guys would be interested in? Let me know on Twitter at Clayton Comic if we did a TPE meetup event in las vegas in june of 2023 would you be likely to attend or likely to tell me to go screw myself 
That'll do it for this episode. Looking forward to hearing from you guys. For everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, and a special thanks to our very generous sponsor, America's Card Room. I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun